Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, bringing equality to the offshore islands, Aaron Moore on the Donegal coastline is bounding ahead as a smart island. Residents can now plan their work or time off days better with the real-time weather, water and air data collected on the island. The National School no longer has to download educational materials on the mainland. There is a warning about seabird breeding colonies. The collapse of seabird breeding colonies in the North Atlantic has become increasingly frequent, almost entirely due to the birds' inability to find enough fish to feed their young. And women in the seafood industry stress the importance of unity in the fishing community. This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, coming to you from the studios of CRY 104FM in Yole on the East Cork coastline. Our aim is to bring together, through the community radio network, the maritime community around Ireland, with news, opinion, comment and discussion, uniting the joint interest of an island people bounded by the sea around us. And it seems that there is now more realisation because of the fears of Brexit that Ireland is an island nation and that the sea around our island is the primary channel of communication. Past government policies that has to be observed do not seem to have sufficiently realised this. So much effort was concentrated on foreign direct investment that native industries were either ignored or thoughtlessly discarded. For example, this week it became known that the majority of flower supplies come to Ireland by ship from Britain, needing 400 lorries to maintain a two-week flower stock. There's just one mill left in the Republic at Port Arlington. The beet industry was closed and the fishing industry practically given away. The British government in its Yellowhammer no-deal document has identified 282 trawlers in UK waters which won't be allowed fish there without an EU agreement. These trawlers are expected to move into Irish waters if there is no agreement, adding extra pressure on Irish stocks. Bordiskiwara, the National Seafood Authority, has compiled a series of interviews with women involved in the fishing industry. One of them is Trudy McIntyre, who comes from a fishing family at Dunmore East on the Waterford coastline. As kids, to see my dad, we used to have to go fishing and spend time with him at, at sea. So I suppose the love of the sea came from that. Four or five years of age, going out fishing, hauling pots, salmon fishing. I suppose it was something I had in common with my dad, holding nets on the pier, mending nets while they were mending and, and stuff like that, making pots. And yeah, it just grew from there. My name is Trudy McIntyre. I'm a fisheries representative in Dunmore East. I'm the chair of the South East Regional Inshore Fisheries Forum and a member of the National Inshore Fisheries Forum. Married to a fisherman, Shane, and I have two daughters, Stephanie and Alex. And Stephanie is a sea cadet on uh, merchant shipping and she's at sea for the last four months. So the sea is in the blood. I think I was a bit of a, a daddy's girl. I think we just had that bond, the fact that I love fishing. I have three younger sisters and they never took to fishing. They never went fishing. And um, I just had that little piece of my dad to myself when I was on the boat with him. Mm-hmm. 
the support network is amazing, especially in times of tragedy. The, the industry really, really pulled together. No questions. They'll bring their boats down and their crews and they'll search and fundraise. And, you know, and that's the side of the industry nobody sees that often, thank God. But it's competition and each and every single boat is a, is a business and everybody wants to stay viable. So what I would love to see is unity. People need to realise that we're all fishing families, we're all fishermen, we're all fishing communities, and by working together we'll get far more achieved than by being separate. I volunteer at the Irish Coast Guard. I'm on the boat crew, and I suppose my earliest memory of Coast Guard and lifeboat was in Ballycotton, talking to my dad on the pier outside the lifeboat station, saying to my dad, do I have to move to Ballycotton to be in the lifeboat? Because I associate them with, if something happens, my dad or my brother or my husband, they're the people that will help him. They'll rescue him and they'll bring him home. So I wanted to be a part of that. So I suppose as I got older and moved to Dunmore, I joined the Coast Guard. And just being there to be able to respond to an incident, call out, it's, it's so rewarding because you're able to do something. I'm also the secretary of the Lost at Sea tragedies. With that, it's promoting awareness of wearing your life jackets. I find that very rewarding because you're doing something positive. And you're doing something to help your family. And I say your family because within the industry, we're all families. We're all related. It's a small, small fishing industry and there isn't a thing we wouldn't do to, to help each other in times of need and tragedy. So I volunteer with that and, uh, yeah, I do an awful lot. <laughs> Trudy McIntyre outlining the importance of fishing communities and their unity in the face of so many challenges. And our thanks to Bordiski Wara for providing that audio and we'll have more of seafood women. Very interesting indeed. A note from the RMS Leinster Mailboat Commemorative Committee asks that we mention that on Saturday, October the 5th at 6.30pm in St. Joseph's Church Glass, Sewell, Dublin, there will be a remembrance mass for those who died in the Leinster tragedy on the 10th of October 1918, when that mailboat was torpedoed by the German submarine UB-123 near the end of World War One. It was the worst maritime disaster on the Irish Sea and over 500 people died. I'm somewhat envious of the Aranmore Islands community off the Donegal coastline when I hear how their broadband service is developing. Now, I live in Cork Harbour, and despite the intensive industry and port operations there, the broadband service in my locality is pretty poor. As Rhoda Twombly tells us now in her monthly report about the islands from Kogal Ilona Heron, the Islands Federation, Aaron Moore is speeding ahead. And she also has the news that weaver Beth Moran has opened a new cafe on Clare Island. Over now to Rhoda, who reports from her island in Ishlar in Clue Bay. While the weather has been up and down, and I've already stowed away most of my shorts and tees, there are still warm and sunny days to enjoy even if it is between showers. Don't pack away your travelling shoes yet. There's still plenty to enjoy on our islands. Directly after their annual contemporary film festival, Clare Island welcomed two European island groups to the island. It was a third visit from a group of women from the Swedish island Stora Dyren. They loved exploring the island and meeting up with old friends. And for the last leader-funded trip for Scotland, 
Residents from the Isle of Egg travelled to Clare Island not only to discuss the Smart Island Initiative, but to compare notes on programmes, sustainable energy and the Community Employment Scheme. The visitors were impressed with the businesses they visited, including Weaver Beth Moran's new cafe, the fabulously renovated lighthouse and Macalla Farm. Most of all, they truly enjoyed the warm welcome received, the demonstration of Irish dance by the island youngsters, and of course, plenty of music in the bar. The leader of the group and chair of Eason, Camille Dressler, was so impressed with Macalla, she would love to return as a volunteer on the farm. Ireland is a founder member of Eason, or the European Small Islands Network, and will be sending a strong delegation to their AGM on Venn Island in Sweden the 23rd of September. Attending are islanders from Bear, Ilanclera, Shirkin, Inishmore, Aranmore and Clare Islands. In addition to discussing the future workings of Eason, there are several talks and workshops organized. Seamus Bonner of Aranmore will present his work on intangible cultural heritage amongst the island fishing community, while Rory McKay will add his thoughts on musical culture on islands. Sustainability, energy, tourism and onward planning are subjects for talks and workshops. The AGM will be a productive exercise for all involved and the delegation will return to their islands full of ideas and plans for future programs to progress our islands. Speaking of progress on islands, Three Ireland has charged ahead on Aranmore with the second phase of using broadband connectivity to create a smart island. Residents can now plan their work or time off days better with the real-time weather, water and air data collected on the island. The National School no longer has to download educational materials on the mainland. They now have the speed there at their fingertips. Fishermen will be aided by buoys containing locator sensors. A crab safe has been equipped with a water flow sensor so they know when the pump is working properly. Importantly, the medical center now has the capability to provide remote consultations, which means less time spent traveling to the mainland for diagnosis and treatment. The connectivity advances will also mean more security for elderly islanders. Home sensors can be provided to track movements and therefore the lack of movement of the older islanders living at home, giving peace of mind to the relations on their well-being. This is all practical and beneficial progress for Anamore. Three Ireland and the islanders involved in developing this technology specific to their needs are to be congratulated. And on that hopeful note, it's Lawn from the Islands. Remaining on the West Coast, during the summer I interviewed offshore solo sailor Joan Molloy from Westport in County Mayo when she was taking part in the French Figaro race. I'm intrigued to see in the September edition of the Irish Garden magazine that she says her favourite plant is a sycamore tree. As a youngster she loved climbing trees and the sycamore was the tallest in the family garden. You could go up in the world and look out to the sea, it was higher than the house, she says. It probably helps when she has to climb a yacht mast. 
Now there's bad news for leisure boat users. The Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, is going to increase by four times the cost of green diesel used only in leisure crafts such as yachts and types of motorboats. It has a special dye to differentiate it from other diesel. It's all to do with a tax exemption which the Minister says he'll remove in the budget for pleasure craft but still allow for commercial usage. Now Justin Marr reports other maritime news from home and overseas waters. A US Navy target boat has washed up off the coast of Inishir a year after it went missing 3,000 nautical miles away. The boat was discovered by the Doolan Express Ferry, who came across it floating in the water while en route to the island. Liam O'Brien is the owner of the Doolan Ferry Company. When they came onto it, they noticed it was a capsized boat. They thought it was like maybe a fast rescue craft or something, but they soon realised that there was no reason to be worried because it had been in the water a very long time. And then word kind of got out that there was this uh, boat floating out there. So a couple of local fishermen launched their boat and they went out just to, I suppose, out of curiosity to have a look. And uh, they weren't making much headway. So our other vessel, the Tranquility, went out then and um, transferred the tow onto the Tranquility and towed it into the beach on this year. And uh, I mean, initially I just thought of it just another, unfortunately, another bit of uh, rubbish floating in the sea. You know, I didn't, I didn't think much of it. But then as, uh, as they pulled it up onto the beach and I started getting photographs, I was kind of intrigued myself. I was like, where the hell did this come from? Like, Initially, they believed it was a rapid rescue boat belonging to the US Coast Guard. But after getting an enormous response on social media, they found out that it was a high-speed, manoeuvrable surface target. It had been lost 75 miles off the coast of Norfolk, Virginia, during a missile test and evaluation exercise last September. Timothy Boulay of the Naval Air Warfare Center Aircraft Division told CNN that the foam-filled boats were designed not to sink and that the boat had been declared lost after a five-hour search for the vessel. For Liam O'Brien, however, the appearance of the boat on the other side of the Atlantic underlined how much waste there is in the waters around us. There's a lot of talk about the amount of rubbish and debris in the ocean and uh this really isn't a big part of it, but uh, it really hits home how much the ocean is used as a dump effectively, like, you know, and uh, eventually all of it just comes ashore and it's just, it's, it's awful. It's definitely something that everyone should be very conscious of. But there is stuff always floating in the water. Now, I was actually thinking as well, because this boat was made of aluminium, like, and we, one of our ferries travels at 20 knots. If it had hit it at 20 knots, it would have done fair damage. It's really hit home to us so that <laughs> how important a good lookout is, you know. You can find out more about this story with pictures of the efforts to retrieve the vessel on the Doolin Ferry website, doolinferry.com. In what is being billed as the largest scientific study of the Arctic ever, one of the most indestructible ships the world has seen will lock itself between sea ice for more than a year. The project, which will require about 600 scientists and technical staff, is designed to study how climate change is impacting the Arctic over a period of a year. The research project, called the Multidisciplinary Drifting Observatory for the Study of Arctic Climate, or MOSAIC for short, has been in the works for years. In order to make it happen, the scientists are relying on the RV Polarstern, a powerful ship that can break through the ice. The ship will set sail from Norway on the 20th of September, and according to one report, is expected to enter the floating sea by the middle of October. The Canadian government has brought into service the first of three offshore fishery science vessels that will replace existing Coast Guard ships on the east and west coasts of Canada to support scientific research. 
The first ship, 63.4 metres long, has been named the Sir John Franklin, the Arctic explorer whose ship, HMS Terror, has been found in remarkable condition as we mentioned on our previous programme. The vessels will collect information on the abundance and distribution of marine species, data on marine ecosystems and on the impacts of human activity on fisheries resources and ecosystem health. The vessel will also support environmental response and search and rescue operations. The Canadian government has also announced the building of 18 new ships for the Coast Guard under the National Shipbuilding Procurement Strategy, plus an additional six new Coast Guard icebreakers to replace its currently ageing fleet. Finally, a four-month-old penguin chick at Sea Life London will become the first in the aquarium's history not to have its gender assigned. The Gentoo chick, which is yet to be named, will not be characterised as male or female. Sea Life explained that gender neutrality is common among penguins in the wild and that it would be natural for the chick to develop into a mature adult without a gendered name. The new penguin chick was raised by a same-sex penguin couple after penguins Rocky and Marama took on an egg that a female penguin in the colony was unable to take care of. Graham McGrath, general manager at the aquarium, said while the decision may ruffle a few feathers, gender neutrality in humans has only recently become a widespread topic of conversation. However, it's completely natural for penguins to develop genderless identities as they grow into mature adults. Penguins ruffling a few feathers, I like that. Now let's go to Kilcool in County Wicklow and the offices of Birdwatch Ireland, which protects seabirds and where Fintan Kelly, their marine policy officer, is concerned about their difficulties in finding enough fish in the seas to feed their young. Post-World War II, the industrialisation of European fisheries inevitably drove overfishing. Increased fishing pressure removed top predators and depleted populations of marine animals, fundamentally altering the balance within marine food webs. Through the removal of large fish over generations, fish species have been impacted at a genetic level, with some cods now maturing at smaller sizes. In Irish waters, six species of shark and ray are critically endangered, and a further five species are endangered. The collapse of seabird breeding colonies in the North Atlantic has become increasingly frequent, almost entirely due to the birds' inability to find enough fish to feed their young. As too many vessels chased too few fish, so fishing became less sustainable. At the time, the European Commission stressed the reality of overfishing, fleet overcapacity, heavy subsidies, low economic resilience and decline in the volume of fish caught by European fishermen. European landings peaked in the 1990s and had bottomed out by 2012. In response, a deadline was enshrined in EU law during the reform of the Common Fisheries Policy to end overfishing by 2015 with a final hard deadline of 2020. In the interim, the progress that has been made in reducing overfishing has resulted in a 36% increase in total mass of commercially exploited fish populations since 2003 in Europe's northwestern waters and record high net profits in 2017 for the EU fleet. However, Despite the clear benefits of sustainable fisheries management, progress has been too slow and has stagnated in recent years, with the proportion of over-exploited stocks remaining close to 40%. Fisheries policy remains focused on the exploitation of commercially important stocks, rather than on an ecological approach, which recognises the interaction of species through food webs, the role of keystone species like sharks and rays, the importance of forage fish stocks and the negative feedbacks associated with the damaging of marine habitats. 
Many fish species, as well as non-target sharks, cetaceans and seabirds, are trapped in a vicious circle, caught as unwanted bycatch in the pursuit of more coveted fish. This is the case for a large proportion of the 35% of assessed stocks in the Northeast Atlantic, which remain outside of safe biological limits. Of these stocks, there are currently five in northwestern waters where scientists have advised that zero fish be caught in 2019 due to their critical state. The ongoing failure of the EU to take the necessary steps to manage these vulnerable stocks sustainably over the course of the last six years has resulted in a situation where several mixed fisheries may have to be closed in order to comply with the CFP's 2020 deadline to end overfishing. This is extremely frustrating, as it was both foreseeable and preventable. The last few years should have been used to overcome these remaining hurdles, but were instead squandered in an effort by EU fisheries ministers and the European Commission to maintain the status quo. The EU's failure to end overfishing won't just be a failure under the CFP. It will signal an alarming complacency about the state of our oceans and the growing threat posed by climate change. Europe needs a more joined-up approach that considers the impacts of fisheries on marine ecosystems, recognises the need to reduce fishing pressure, to improve the monitoring and control and ensure the protection of sensitive habitats and nursery grounds through the designation of marine protected areas. Fintan Kelly, Marine Policy Officer, Birdwatch Ireland reporting there. And next to the angling world. Hello to all the anglers listening in. Miles Kelly from Inland Fisheries Ireland here again to give a quick roundup of the news from the world of fishing. Over the last month, weather patterns have had a huge impact on angling across Ireland. The windy periods made sea angling tough and many boats remained tied up or confined to sheltered estuaries and bays. When the charter skippers did get to sea, the fishing was pretty good. Anglers on Galway Bay met a range of species, including John Dory and plenty of gurnards, while down in the southeast, anglers out of Kilmore Quay have been getting good shark fishing. In general, though, shark fishing has not been easy this season. It's hard not to make a connection between the decline in angler catches and the reported seizures of commercial longliners from Europe with their holes full of shark fins. On the shore angling scene, we are getting good reports of bass angling from Waterford, Cork and the North East. Bass have been scarce in the last month or so, so it's great to hear that anglers are meeting them again in good numbers. Moving inland, heavy rains saw many rivers and lakes flood, while the dry conditions in other catchments resulted in low water. From week to week, the patterns flipped from north to south and east to west. Anglers on the Clare River in Galway were looking forward to some late-season trout fly fishing, only to be confronted by a three-metre flood recently. Meanwhile, the shore and the nore, for the most part, remained low and making for tough conditions. A group of angling journalists from the UK did well on the shore, but it was only through the use of persistence and adaptability. They worked every method they could, from superfine lines and tiny nymphs to heavier rods and big streamers. They also fished on the Nyre and the Tar, tributaries of the shore, and although the crystal clear waters meant that approaching their targets was incredibly difficult, they still managed to catch enough trout for some great articles that will appear in Trout and Salmon magazine next year. The journalists fished the Nore with great success, getting more than 20 trout each in a short day's fishing. Lake anglers did well on the likes of Carob in the west and Sheelan in the Midlands. Late season often sees the trout feeding hard before they run the rivers to spawn. Salmon angling was not easy in August. There was almost too much water in the end, and September has not been great either. There was some good fishing on the smaller rivers at times. Jonathan Murray took advantage of a falling flood on the Arif recently to record an incredible catch of 12 fish in a day to 8.5 pounds, all on fly. But for the most part, anglers on the normally reliable fisheries like the Moy, Munster Blackwater, Drowse, Lown and others remained frustrated. Staying with salmon fishing, 
Any anglers who purchase 21-day licences or one-day licences and have stopped fishing for the season are reminded to return their logbooks to Inland Fisheries Ireland as soon as possible and no later than the 19th of October. You can do this using the business reply envelope you received on purchasing your licence or call into any of our offices. Course angler reports were in short supply recently as the high rainfall had an impact. Many lakes were pretty high and the shoals of fish became more dispersed or difficult to locate or uninterested in feeding. Nonetheless, the fishing on Inniscarrow never slowed down and catches of up to 20 kilograms a day were recorded as Tommy Lawdon won the Vintners Cup three-day match with a total weight of over 54 kilograms. The long-range forecast has pretty much ruled out an Indian summer, but there will be the odd nice day before the end of September, so I'm advising all game anglers to get out and make the most of it while they can. Course and pike anglers won't be under the same sort of pressure and can expect fishing to improve as the water temperatures slowly fall, and fall they will. There's a real feel of autumn in the air. Seasons of mists and mellow fruitfulness, I think someone once said. Well, that's all from me this week. Safe fishing for all, and don't forget, CPR saves fish. Miles Kelly of Fisheries Ireland, ending this edition of This Island Nation, produced at CRY 104FM Yall on the East Cork coastline, with technical supervision by Justin Marr, and broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland, in Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South, on Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, in Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Convara FM, Clare on Radio Cork in Kilkenny on Kilkenny City Radio, on West Limerick 102 FM, Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar, Cork City Community Radio, West Cork FM and Community Radio Bear Island. With podcasts on iTunes, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and the Marine Times IE. And there's a special monthly edition on the National Council for the Blinds audio magazine. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. And you can contact the programme on email to thisislandnation at gmail.com by phone or text to 0872 555 197. That's email, thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone or text 0872 555 197. Until our next programme from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing. <laughs>